This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Welcome back. Welcome in. This is Country Roads Confidential at Earsports.com, part of the CBS Sports Radio Network. I am Mike Casaza. Standing at the top of the mountain, Chris Anderson. The barrel is at the top, or the, the boulder is at the top, I guess. Six games left, but uh, man, for you and me, we still push the boulder up because we have a full basketball season that starts pretty soon and maybe already underway with some media sessions, a scrimmage intra-squad Friday at the Coliseum. Big 12 media day this week. Secret scrimmage Saturday. Might be against... a word that rhymes with Leighton. Might not be. Who knows? But, man, you think about football season is round in the corner, uh, almost done. Maybe for some people it's already done. But pull the cord, start the engine, here comes basketball season. Yep, catches me off guard almost every year. Every year I get a message sometime around mid-October. Hey, where's the preview piece on basketball? I say, what are you talking about? It's not basketball season yet. Look at the schedule. Oh, crap. We're two or three weeks out. I got to get started, and uh, and that's where we are right now. Like you said, you know the, the uh, interest squad scrimmage Friday night. And had you, what do you take from an interest squad scrimmage? Not much. You're playing against each other. You don't know. Um, I, I didn't take anything from it, but then we get into the super secret scrimmage, which we joked about, I believe, last weekend. Um, it is coming up now. Uh, I think right team, right location. Uh, a little bit different date, yeah. but um, that again, and I, I don't know what you take of that. I can what was the one? It was a couple years ago, right? And I think they got absolutely had the doors blown off of them by some. Was it Purdue? Right. Somebody just absolutely smashed West Virginia in that secret scrimmage, and that team ended up being pretty good, I think. And like, so I don't, I don't know what to take of this either, or if we can, or it's just one of those things where you just kind of have to. Trust your instincts on what you think of this team and then see how it starts panning out as the year actually begins and you and you learn on the fly. I do think that there is something there that that you could I don't know. I was one of those people who was like, I don't know, I got to see Isaiah Cottrell do anything before I think he's going to matter before Christmas. My schedule is way off there. Everything everybody said about him was that no, he's fine. No limitations. He's running. He's dunking. Uh, you think about Cottrell and the reputation, that's like a, a 6'10 stretch. And you're like, oh, well, yeah, he's going to be a perimeter player. Now he can put his back to the basket. He can rebound. He can, you know, drive, I guess, and score. Mm-hmm. And to see him, I forget what his numbers were. I think he had 16, but was active, moving around. That was good. Bridges, I think that's a guy who can make the leap. I'm not saying that 21 points in a scrimmage is a leap, but if his offensive repertoire is as evolved – as they want it to be, which means he can move around screens and get open and not just catch and shoot. If he can drive to the basket or score in the mid range, that could be a guy who leads the team in scoring. And by the way, he rebounds a bunch too. And then you just have 
a bunch of guys that have to be determined roles and and outcomes. And these are just the things I was looking at. Like, what does Bridges have? What does Cottrell give you? And then who goes where elsewhere? And then you look at the names of players who had a couple of points, a couple of rebounds, a couple of assists on the gold or blue team. And you realize how big this roster is and how, I, I don't know, practices could be fun. It could be really hard to organize a rotation with minutes. Um, it might be days or weeks or games between somebody having a really good game and somebody else may jump up in the midterm and fill the the box score with this or that. I don't know if that's good or bad. I don't know how comfortable Huggins is going to be trying to make the, the most out of uh, what's probably going to be a 14-player roster. I think they might put Oconquo on ice now, especially if he's going to be out for a, uh, a week with that, or excuse me, a month with that broken bone in his foot, which evidently is like a freak injury along the lines of a, not a series, but I remember Joe Mazzula had that growth plate that was a sort of a weird thing in the shoulder that they had no idea how to really treat. Apparently this bone he broke was just kind of like, weird as it was and it just split i don't know that might just take a long time to, to repair but still 14 people maybe 13 it's gonna be a lot of people he's gonna have to, have to balance and just by one scrimmage granted everybody plays but you can see this guy does this this guy does that this guy does this there's there's ways to have again multiple opportunities to to have somebody on the floor who can do something that you need i just i just wonder how they're going to actually do that yeah, we kind of knew that it was going to be a, a quote-unquote big roster just because of the the extra scholarship situation where you could have basically West Virginia could have up to 15. And, but even with that, it feels like, uh, you know, maybe the initial thought is, oh, you got 15, and it, it might be bored just like you add on a couple guys that are just tail end of the bench guys. And instead, West Virginia added on guys that are going to be or should be contributors right away, guys that are graduate transfers, seniors, all this stuff. And all of a sudden, you're looking at, you know, I, I did that piece the other day trying to detail the top eight because that's really where you focus your rotation. No matter what what year or what Huggins says, it really comes down to eight. Like, even during Press Virginia when he was talking 10, it was like eight with a couple guys that maybe played 10 minutes. So it's really eight. And when you get to the eight, it's like, man, it's really tough to make some decisions here at the end on who's actually going to play because – you're either going to leave out one of these graduate transfer seniors that were starters at their previous stop out of the rotation, or you're going to bump a guy that was already in West Virginia's rotation out of the rotation. So, I mean, that's a good problem for Bob Huggins to have, but it is a, it is a thing that's happening right now and thing they're trying to figure out during the preseason. When do we sound the alarm? about the blue team going ice cold in the second half and scoring 17 points. If there's one thing I know about West Virginia fans and West Virginia sports in general is that the alarm has already been sounded and will continue to be sounded all the way until they actually win a national championship. So <laughs> it's already happened, I guess. It's a, the alarm is off. It's ringing. It's annoying, it's annoying neighbors because no one has uh, turned it off yet. Um, it, it's that car in the parking lot that somebody bumped into and the alarm's going off for the next 12 hours. Uh, always something over there. Always something. <laughs> uh, and then always something coming up. 7.30 on ESPNU. Not going to lie to you, I'm going to have to see if I have that channel because it's been a long time since I think a football game was on ESPNU, but West Virginia travels to TCU. Two-point underdog. Um, I, I talk about this every now and then. I have this little tool that I have that generates point spreads. 
and Friday night it was like eight to TCU. And when I did it again with all the new data and numbers on, it would have been yesterday morning, I guess. Um, it was like three, three and a half. So I guess they don't think too highly of TCU's defense, which brings West Virginia into the game a little bit closer because they're not they're not great offensively. But if TCU isn't good defensively, which is a weird thing to say, then maybe that gives West Virginia's offense on the road a chance. Um, point being, a winnable game here on the road. We'll talk a little bit about it here too, but you've you do your power rankings and you're actually accomplished and all that. I have no credibility when it comes to TCU because I'm wrong every year on them, including this year. Except that I think they have a pretty punchy offense, but their defense I thought would be way better. But what's the book on TCU right now as we begin to get to know the Horn Frogs? I, I feel like it's the same thing. It's been the last couple of years. You're riding the Max Dugan uh, roller coaster. Um, he he is the key to that. I think he's been a little more consistent this year than he has in uh, the past couple seasons. Um, they they really couldn't get their run game going uh, last week, and and that like you said, that defense is 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 not. I kind of feel like I've been saying this about Gary Patterson a lot lately, but it just doesn't feel like a Gary Patterson type team. It doesn't feel like a Gary Patterson type defense. And um, I mean, do you want to say Neil Brown has his number? Is that <laughs> taking it too far? Did I just say that? If Matt Wells has Neil Brown's number, then yeah, Neil Brown would have Gary Patterson's number. <laughs> you think that bugs Gary Patterson? It, oh my God, bro. Uh, absolutely. He's kind of sensitive as it is about things. Um, like he's already had his one big blow up this year when it came to SMU, but I imagine like if he's trying to get his team motivated, this this Neil Brown guy is not going to go three and zero against me. If you guys want to run all day Sunday, let him go three and zero. We'll see what happens. But yeah, uh, mystery team. We'll have an answer, God, around midnight, I guess, <laughs> Saturday <laughs> night. I'm sure the high-quality broadcast will speed us through this thing here, too. But big game, West Virginia, three straight losses. has only been 0-4 in a conference once. They don't want to have that history. And Listen, they gotta, they're got they 2-4. and four, they got to go 4-2. They're going to win a bowl game, and they're going to have to pluck at least one win on the road to do this. Um, and, and, man, why not this? They've done it before. Beatable team that's probably taking some body blows to the schedule. Always tough playing Oklahoma before you play somebody else because Oklahoma – just the pace they play, how physical they can be. Maybe not so much this year, but... And they probably figured out their quarterback situation, too. It's nice to be able to bench Spencer Rattler and bring in a superior option. How many teams can do that? Uh, probably about five. Yeah. Yeah, I, don't know, I don't know if you were looking for an actual answer on that, but yeah, about five. Uh, Oklahoma's one of them. Alabama's probably one. Um, I and, and I say five, and I'm, I'm going to struggle to even come up with the five. So it's rare, obviously. Well, I'm sure we'll have questions about which quarterback is on the field and on the bench Saturday, maybe even during the week. If there's a time to make a change, it's probably now. Perhaps it's a question like that in our mailbag, but let's get to it, Chris. Subscribers ask questions. We answer as many as we can. You come back, scoop up the leftovers, put them on a dish for us in a written version. Um, rinse, wash, repeat. Y'all know the drill? Let's go one more time here. Yep. Uh, since it was a bye week, I kind of requested, hey, let's try to get basketball-centric, but if you, you have something football uh, go ahead, and so I guess maybe you and I will just start with this and maybe end with this as far as football goes, uh, just in general. And, and I think it's a reasonable question, and I'd love to hear your your answer. Um, this is from Lighten. Give us your pitch on why fans should still care about this football season and remain interested. Mike, you're selling. How are you getting people to watch TV? Well, the pictures aren't going to change. They're just not. Like the head coach is is 
staple to this program, the big contract, right? Um, mm-hmm. He may change some pieces on his staff or pe- maybe people get new jobs or, or you know, get they, they trade up. I'm using air quotes here in the office to another position somewhere else, whatever. But by and large, Neil Brown's not going anywhere. He's not getting fired. My dad is going to bail on this right away. So wrap your arms around that. Still a likable guy. I don't think anybody's saying that, that, that he's lost that luster and has done a lot of good things up to this point, except he's in the jungle right now. And if you're trying to figure out if he's the right guy, you're going to know sooner than later. You might know as soon as Saturday afternoon, Saturday evening, I guess. Because, listen, a coach who's in this situation, he should be able to find a way to get a team to go. With a week off, um, they're playing on the road. That's not going to be hard or easy. Um, they're not playing the worst opponent. So you might discover something about him that you like, or you might remember that you liked him with this. And then a lot of skill back on offense. Their offensive line should be back intact, maybe have some additions next year from the transfer portal. But the core on offense, save one notable exception, is going to be around. And then defensively, this is where I have a hard time. <laughs> because... Like their their best parts of their defense are kind of older, or at least they the what the supposed best parts of their defense were were kind of older, and you're going to be missing two safeties, a linebacker, a defensive lineman this year from next year, maybe two defensive linemen. So you're going to put some new pieces in, but we haven't really seen a whole lot of those new players or the players who will take over. We haven't seen them, so that's a harder one for me. So I just kind of go back to what people want to see. They want to see Neil Brown get it right. They want to see the offense take off, um, and I think that there's a chance that these final six games are are a good story for them. Maybe they don't make it to a bowl. Maybe they show a lot of improvement. Maybe they do rip off four or five wins. It would be nuts. It would be hard to believe, but it wouldn't be like this thing that would make you feel bad. It would validate a lot of your hopes and maybe even your suspicions before that he did, in fact, have this touch. Here's a guy who came from the air raid tree, had some really good offenses at different places. Why hasn't it happened here? Well, if all of a sudden he got a week to step back and look at everything and put it in place and they get a couple road wins, they upset a team or two, they win a shootout against Texas, something like that then, hey, this could happen, so you might as well get on board now. Yeah, my my answer is going to be centered around the young pieces. If I had been asked this question a week ago, uh, but it doesn't sound like that's going to be a move. I, I was fully prepared for when he said everything was on the table, that there could be some massive changes coming to the roster. You'd see some more young guys, and I would say, you're watching the second half of this season for the future of the program. And you you still are just maybe not as far as the players go. You're talking about the the coaches. You're trying to figure out if they can adjust on the fly, if they can fix this, because the answer to that question might shape the program for the next five years or longer. So you want to keep an eye on that. If you care about the program for the future, not just this season, you need to keep an eye on that. And bowl eligibility, still possible. Don't you know, start throwing things at your at your uh, listening device. Just because I said that, but it's still there. It, it's it's not completely unreasonable, but I think West Virginia, other than this last game, has been pretty competitive in most of their contests. So to think that they might go four and two is not just it's just not absurd. So and nobody likes six and six. Nobody likes seven and five. Nobody likes five and seven. I think, but. If you start with two and four and you end up six and six, you're going to end up pretty happy. This is kind of like uh, that first year under Neil Brown where it it looked like it was going to end poorly. And then they win two of their last three and everybody's a little more up on the team, a little more excited about it. Uh, Winning that bowl game against Army last year, a little more excited about it. So I think you want to watch that to 
kind of build that excitement for next year and hope for for more. And to be quite honest, if you're not getting that excitement at the end of the year, that means this program is finishing three and nine, maybe. Mm-hmm. And, and then you need to be watching for what happens next because <laughs> something might happen. And I'm not calling for like, you know, massive firings or something, but that nobody, nobody goes three and nine and says, all right, let's run it back exactly as we did. So um, I think it's, it's still, it's still worth paying attention to for these last handful of games of the year. Now, granted, if they get bombed by TC and they can't beat um, Iowa State, then this changes, but that's not the question, right? Right. They've got the starting line right now of a new season here, so to speak, and I think I think you're on to something there, too, that they're – I think we both have a, a good explanation, but to your point, no one's going to be completely happy about this if it doesn't fix itself sooner than later. Yeah. Ready to switch to uh, basketball, or was there another football question you wanted to touch on before we keep going? Do you have the timeout slash delay a game question? Yeah, it's in here. Hold on. Let me find it real quick. All right. Uh, from SJJSWVU4, is there some analytical information on weighing the value of a timeout versus a five-yard penalty? When it's third and goal on the inch line, you would say it's more important to save the five yards, but I'm just wondering where the break point is for the value of a timeout versus a five-yard penalty for the delay of game. Yes, there has been plenty written about this. Um when I was in grad school, I was doing this only a couple of years ago. So um, not that I'm that young, but I went back to grad school late in life and was doing stuff on data and analytics. And there was a story that was written. Uh, I'm trying to remember the name of the website now. Uh, I'll, I'll send you the link, Chris, and you can put it in there. But the gist of it was that this is a guy who would watch the games and wasn't a football fan or even like a football or wasn't a football player, or even a football fan. But he watched the games and just get frustrated by a team just having a play clock tick towards zero and all of a sudden the quarterback back up call timeout and the data he went through said that the result of a drive is hardly any different when you take the delay a game or even just quick snap it spike it on first or second down you're gonna get a first down or a touchdown or points at pretty much the same rate as if you had let that play go off um you know as as normal so let's just say it's like second and two if you take the late game second and seven, you still have about the same odds of getting a first down, a field goal, or touchdown as you would in a conventional setting. Um, so you take the delay, and you're still going to be okay. Um, or spike it, lose the down, and you'll still be okay. Your likelihood of winning if you had timeouts left on the final 600 seconds of a game went up almost 25%. So if a, in a competitive game where timeouts would be useful, if you had a timeout that you had not had to use your 23% chances or you, you have a 23% chance increase of winning the game, not of scoring points or having the ball down late of winning the game. So uh, it was a lot of data. It was loaded into data sets and downs and down sets and all that. But his idea, his premise was that it's way, way more beneficial to have the timeouts in your pocket than to prevent a five yard loss. Now, granted, if you're third and one, you don't want to take the five-yard penalty, you know, because so these these timeouts that you have to save and the yardage you have to eat are first and second down. So if you have a situation on first and second down, take the delay or quick spike it. Um, save that timeout because you might need it, and if you do have it, you're 23% more likely to win the game. 
I want you to brainstorm with me, Mike, because I've thought about this before. It drove me nuts. I believe it was maybe it was after that big kickoff return from Winston Wright, where it got all the way to the two or three yard line, and West Virginia had first and goal from the three, and ended up having to use a timeout to avoid a delay of game. What? How would you implement it? Because my thought is, you have a play that is so extremely basic that you can just run it on a fly, like just quick inside zone to Letty Brown. And, and it, I mean, half the time, that is how a play starts for West Virginia. You know, with the read option kind of look, you, you fake the handoff or actually make the handoff. How can you not just go to that? Like why, if it's like first and first and goal from the three, you're calling a timeout to avoid the delay of game to then come in and call the same play that you would have run anyway. I, I just feel like there's a way to have a play, like you said, inst- instead of spiking it, instead of throwing the ball out of bounds or whatever to save a timeout or taking the delay of game, just, hey, quick hike, quick hike, go, 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 and just hand off. How would, how do you think we you could implement that as a coach, as an offense? You just have a fire call. Right. And you, you sneak it. No handoff. Yeah. Not going to catch your running back off guard. You're just going to center. I'm up against you. I'm leaning on your back. Let's go. You fall forward. And I'm just going to take a yard or two here or something like that. And I've seen teams do that. I've seen high school teams do that. I haven't really seen college teams do that. But uh, I know that when I cover high school football, I would see that every so often. Um, it's it's yeah, you have to <laughs> you have to have an organization um, about you to do something like that. Like and if you're if you're scramble coming off of a, a timeout or off the sideline, it might be hard to do that. But it only takes two people that have to know that. So if your quarterback and your center get it, you don't need your other 11, your other nine to do it. Just like catch it, lean forward, and go. You could do something like that. You'd have to have a fire call, but you could do it. Yeah, um, that, that's the, way, the thing the website, that drives me nuts. The website is towards data science, and the headline is don't show your stupidity by wasting timeouts. So if you want to Google it, don't show your stupidity by wasting timeouts. It's long, but it's it's actually an interesting reading. I said 23% boost if you have timeouts to win a game. Should I Should I buy that domain? Don't waste. Don't show your stupidity by wasting timeouts. Dot com. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and just have it linked back to our site. It is. Yes. It is there you go. <laughs> All right. Um, let's switch to basketball here. Um, actually, this is kind of uh, all sports. I thought this was interesting in a conversation that we've had before on the site um, related to name, image, likeness. And I, I think you know, it's. It's a thing that we've seen. It's kind of relevant. I believe you posted a picture of Dante Stills. Was it down at, was it outside of Morgantown or did you say Parkersburg? Up on Just the outside of Morgantown, but evidently they're all over the state. Yeah. Um, this is from Pierre Squared. Uh, what's the income range per athlete, per sport, per school, for NIL? I'm wondering how we are able to gauge revenue versus different strategies. Is there a source? Is it freely available, et cetera, et cetera? Mike, your thoughts? I mean, I don't, I don't think we're talking exact numbers here, but I think there's some interesting conversations to have here because there's been wild misconceptions about what people thought would happen versus what's actually happening so far. Yeah, so it'll by and large be up to who is paying the people to say how much they're paying, which I'm not sure is the best idea, Chris. <laughs> because, one, everybody's going to knock on their door, which, whatever, you're going to get the same thing. You're going to get just, you know, every year you're going to have – a billboard with the most popular football player on it. Maybe you want to do more, maybe you want to do less. I don't know. If I was a school, I'd be trying to get that data, wouldn't you? Yeah. Hi, I'm Neil Brown, coach of the, you know, seven and six Texas Bowl champions. Um, and home of 
14 players who made between 10 and $25,000 this year, something like that. Like, I know again, what the data would be, would be up to getting it from the people who give it to you. But I would really be out there thumping my chest on that. I will. And I'll tell you this whispers, Chris of basketball. Yeah. If players do this, um, We've written about their their infrastructure and how they've really worked hard before the season started, which is a runway that football did not have, but really worked hard at trying to get what they could for schools. We're talking like five players who could get six figures if they do it as hard and as as dedicated as they can. Like the opportunities are there for them to do that. I'm not sure they want to do that. I'm not sure Bob Huggins wants to do that, but you're talking five or six players who can make six figures. I would be getting on top of Cooper's Rock and telling people that if <laughs> yes, I was there. Absolutely. Yeah. And then and more to that, that's not that's obviously that's a recruiting thing, but maybe some businesses want to get in on that. But then I'd be thinking, okay, if I'm the women's soccer team, if I'm gymnastics, if I'm rifle, recruiting's a little bit different there. But man, I'd be out there telling the businesses that, like, hey, I have all these players who are getting good money. If you need your message, your brand, your idea, your content to be seen, hey. Come here because they have this great social media following or they're really big in their sport. It's a niche sport, but they're pretty significant players and they're visible. They're popular. So my answer would be that I don't have it. It's going to be up to my answer. Be I don't have the numbers. We're still early in it. And more importantly, it hasn't been shared yet. I think a lot of it's going to be proprietary and private. And people aren't going to want to. Is a player really going to say, hey, I made I made 10 grand with this post on Instagram? Probably not. I get that. But I would try to do the best I can to organize that information and share it if I was a coach or a team or even the athletic department to say, hey, it's working. It's not as bad or as evil as you thought. You didn't even notice it, really. But it was still good for the student athletes. And then I would be doing that if I was businesses just to, not, just to try to help, like give them the data that they need. And then again, if I was the teams, I'd be doing it for recruiting purposes, but also just to continue to help my student athletes who are on the team get those income opportunities. Let the businesses know or the companies know that they're going to be seen because you have people who do draw eyeballs. Is your child struggling with a specific subject or need help with homework? Are they asking questions that you're not sure you can fully answer? IXL Learning is an online learning program for kids. It covers math, language arts, science, and social studies. IXL is designed. This program will improve your kids' grades. Studies done in almost every state in the country. The kids who had IXL are consistently doing better. Powered by advanced algorithms, IXL gives the right help to each kid no matter the age or personality. And it doesn't have to eat up all your time. One subscription gets you everything for all the kids in your home, pre-K to 12th grade. So don't miss out. One in four students in the U.S. are learning with IXL. IXL is used in 95 of the top 100 school districts in the U.S. Make an impact on your child's learning. Get IXL now. And listeners can get an exclusive 20% off IXL membership when they sign up today at IXL.com audio. Visit IXL.com audio to get the most effective learning program out there at the best price. Uh, I'm with you. This would be a major point of emphasis in recruiting for me. And I think it, there were some fans that were concerned that, oh, West Virginia is going to get screwed here because all these big city teams are going to be making a bunch of money. I think it's the opposite. I think because West Virginia football is so big in the state of West Virginia and in the surrounding area that local businesses are realizing that these college athletes have a lot of pull. They, they will catch eyeballs. People will look at those. You're going to look at that uh, billboard of Dante Stills and James Committer. I know, has been on one. 
far more likely in the state of West Virginia than you are just a standard billboard with, you know, the actual lawyer sitting up there or a car, you know, wrecked, you know, if you're doing car insurance or, or car claims and stuff. So I think this might actually work out better for West Virginia than some of those bigger schools, some of the schools that are in big cities. I think it's going to help rural teams, teams where their team, their college team is the biggest thing going on in the area. So I think that it's been very beneficial for West Virginia and something else. If you're an athlete right now, jump in on it. Um, we've talked about this before because somebody asked, you know, if, if we were going to jump into the mix by paying athletes to do stuff. And I said, no. And part of that's just, yeah, don't feel comfortable with it, but also because I, I don't know what the benefit is. I don't know how big of a benefit it is for companies, at least as far as what I I do, and what we do. But there's a market inefficiency out there. I think these first couple years where players could really make some money before other companies realize that, and other companies realize, wow, I just paid some guy a hundred thousand dollars, and did he bring in $100,000 worth of business? Right. And I, I mean, no offense to Dante Stills or James Gemitter, but I think the answer is no. Uh, I mean, th those kind of, you know, lawsuits and stuff like that are different because just one, you know, if you draw in just one client, it could make all the difference in the world. But I just don't know how much these guys are bringing in, how much it's worth. But I think there's a market inefficiency here right now where players can make more money than they're actually worth because companies are trying to figure out what it is worth. And in my opinion, it's not worth as much as they're being paid right now. So the players should be taking advantage of it right now to make as much money as possible, in my opinion. We could do like a revenue sharing. We can get, we could get, I'm trying to think of somebody here, Jamel King. Mm hmm. And like he get a percentage of every subscription that we get if we had him boost a VIP membership for us. Yeah, there you go. He has to promote it and they have whoever signs up has to use the promo code EarSportsKing or something like that. And we can tell who signed up and we'll give him a cut. Or my code would be my name is not Jalen. Because <laughs> I keep calling him Jalen King. I'm sorry, Mr. King. I'll get that. I don't know. Oh, I'm glad. I thought you were making fun of me because that's exactly what I I, I called him Jamel King. God, really? <laughs> then, then I called him Jamel King, then did a, a piece on a paragraph on Jalen Bridges. And then in the third paragraph after that, I combined the two and they were now uh, <laughs> Jalen King. I was like, oh, God. What is this wrong? person? Still, 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 stilly and sills. Huh. Yeah. Ugh. So we'll just call All him right. King. Yeah. Well, uh, speaking of King and some of these new guys, there's the next question from Carp77. Um, I'm, I'm going to kind of paraphrase here. Basically, he's asking, who is the most valuable new addition to this year's team? You know, he, he brings up Malik Curry, brings up Polly Polycap, brings up some of the freshmen. Uh, you know, you also have Jamel King. You have Damone uh, Kerrigan. Who's who's the most important newcomer right now for West Virginia basketball, Mike? Right now, Polycap. I think that his energy is going to be a really beneficial addition. And I don't think he's going to be a guy who wants to take a lot of jumpers, Um also, I said this on another podcast last week. I was on Josh Witt's podcast, Unreasonable Doubts. And I said that, that Polycap would probably not take a jumper all year. Uh, in conversation with someone who heard this that works in athletics, told me that that's not true, that he can actually shoot a little bit. 
So now we've got stretch Polly. <laughs> I'm not sure that we want him shooting a lot of threes or 18 footers, but I do think that's a guy who just is obsessed with being around the rim. And if he can block it and he can grab rebounds and he can get energy points, um, I think it's a guy that the fans are going to like because he does not want to do the stuff that other people have done before him. He just wants to do what he does and he's good at, which I think is a pretty novel thing, but also smart. Here's a guy that catches balls around the rim and tries to dunk it. Here's a guy who shoots two footers. Here's a guy who blocks shots or just jumps up and dunks it. And if they're playing with a lot of space, there's a, a way for that guy to be really effective on offense. So I think that that's one that is a good one right now. I think people are going to like him. Good energy. He's going to help and is not obsessed with doing things that he's seen other people do. He just wants to do what he does. And then I just got a really good feeling about Kobe Johnson. That's the the hype may not match what is on the floor, but the hype has been such that I think that there's a plan for him to become a real player, like a top, I don't know, top eight, top nine guy or whatever. But I think that he's going to be a guy who he could be in some interesting situations in the non-conference play with the idea of him being a part of this when they get into conference play. Good. You gave two answers and I got two different ones. Although I, right. I am I am also buying stock in Kobe Johnson. Like loved him out of high school. Love all everything he's got in his game. I, I just trying to find a role for him this year, I'm having a little harder time or how of how big it can be. Um so I'm I, I'm buying stock in Kobe Johnson, but for 2022-23. Um but my pick to start, well, let me give you my backup here. Um Jamel King, uh, I have heard from at least three, maybe four. My memory's getting bad. People tell me that he is basically a, a little shorter version of um, Lamont West, who you recall didn't get as much publicity when he came in and then came in shooting lights out and found a role in this team. And I don't know if that's the talking point being pushed by people around the program or if that's just a legitimate you know, evaluation of where he is right now. And if it is, I think given this offense and this scheme, Lamont West is a good guy you want to have on it. That's a guy you want to have out there on the floor if you're going to run the scheme that you're you're currently running. So keep an eye on King, Jamel or Jalen, whatever you want to call him. And then it, I, for me, it's it's Malik Curry. I think you you mentioned Polycap. He's good. He does a lot of the things that that we've talked about a lot that West Virginia needs by the rim, defending the rim, uh, being that kind of facilitator more in the post than than somebody who demands the ball on the in the um, on the block. But there are a lot of minutes that were vacated at point guard, and I don't know if Curry is a true point guard. Maybe, maybe not. Uh, down low, I think you can split things between like three, four different guys. So that's why I'm kind of leaning more towards Curry being a bigger factor here because there's not a choice. He's going to be a guy that has to play 20-some minutes a game. Has to be. Has to, has to, has to. Uh, if West Virginia is going to be good this year, that is. And so I'm expecting them to be good, which means I'm expecting Curry to play a good chunk of minutes and kind of be one of the main ball handlers, one of the main offensive weapons for this team. Four picks out of the seven newcomers. Good job by us. There, there we go. We give the fans what they want. All right. Uh, this is a good question from Gwen 77 It's a good question because it builds on something that I've talked about before. So, of course, I like it. Um, the closing five. Something I talked about a couple years ago in my preview, pod, or preview piece. Just I don't care about the starting five. I'm more worried about the closing five. Mike, is your closing five this year different than your starting five? 
Yeah, and who is it? Yeah, I just keep coming back to I don't know who their starting point guard is, yeah. which makes me think I don't really know who their closing point guard is. I'm supposing it's Curry to start, but like I don't know about him. I think he had seven assists the other night, which is a really good start, and it might be him. So I'm inclined to go with that because he is most likely the most capable player in that situation, I would think. But my 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 other issue then is just like we've seen Huggins get so complicated sometimes with offense defense at the end of games that he he really managed the heck out of it last year with um, Culver and Osaboyan. So that was interesting. But let's just say substitution free. Is Osaboyan your five? Probably, because he can do a lot of stuff. He's a smart player. He defends, so that's good. And then just kind of going around like, is it is it as simple as putting in between them? Them being Curry and Osaboyan. Putting in between them just Sherman McNeil for sure. And I'm guessing Bridges is the four, which are we tasking him with getting big time rebounds in the clutch? Maybe he can, but wouldn't you feel better with somebody who was a bigger, better rebounder? But then again, who is that? Is that Paula Cap? Is it Cottrell? Is it Kerrigan? I don't know. So yeah, we I'm I'm I, I just remain intrigued by how they're going to make this work at various situations but if you had to give me the five right now i would say because their offense would be good and i think the bridges can be a rebounder i would go curry sherman mcneil bridges osaboyan so as as different as we went on the last one we're on the same page on this one because i think it all hinges on what what curry is and what he can do specifically on the defensive end of the the floor because i think that tends to influence Huggins' decision more than anything uh, late in the game. And I don't know. I, I'll be straight up honest. I have no clue if Curry's a, a great defender or not. I mean, I, I see he gets some steals. I see he, um, you know, he's, I, I know he can score. I've seen you watch his highlights. You see a lot of scoring. You see a lot of passing, a lot of shooting. You don't see much defense, but you see that he gets a, a little bit of steals a game but uh, before coming to West Virginia. But I wonder if maybe you go, if he's out and you're trying to get a lot of length, I always focus on length when I'm talking here is, and, and I think maybe you go Sherman, especially if you think, if you think Sherman can defend a point guard, I think maybe you can go Sherman, McNeil, Bridges, Gabe, and then Polycap. And that gives you a little more length on the perimeter um, Gabe, I still, even though you're like, oh God, there you go with the two bigs thing. Yeah, I know offensively it looks that way, but I think Gabe is good enough on defense that he can basically switch everything. And that gives you that kind of extra layer of protection that if you end up with a mismatch down low, Gabe can also switch there too. And then you have Polycap defending the rim. So I, I you you might give up a little bit on the point guard defense by subbing Curry out and asking Sherman to defend a point guard, but then you add so much more by having Gabe and Polycap on the court at the same time. So I'm with you. Like if Curry can play defense as well as Huggins wants him to play defense, then maybe you just stick with that same starting five. If not, I think that's the move that they make to to kind of go with that too big and more length. I wonder how many minutes they play without a point guard. Like if, if Curry's a point guard and Kedrian Johnson's a point guard and uh, Kobe's a point guard, are are we saying that one of them is on the floor at all times? All times. I don't, I don't think so. 
Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, I, I think you could see a, a stretchy tap where you have Sherman, McNeil, probably Bridges, Cottrell, and then a five, something like that. Or you might find a way to just get Sherman and McNeil as your backcourt. And then maybe there's a third guard, maybe it's two forwards, whatever. But I just think you're going to see stretches each half, at least early, where they're not playing with a, like a, a quote-unquote one. All right, related. And maybe this is maybe this is the last one, because I'll be honest, you guys, once I said, hey, let's talk basketball instead of football, uh, not as many questions. I mean, still a good number, what, 30 or so? But uh, when we can't complain about football, the, the questions are a little more limited. So let me end on this one for the, the podcast portion from Timberpimp. Game on the line, WVU with the ball. Who is Hugs giving it to to win the game? I uh, I was in the IPO level for Bridges. I just think he's going to have a good year. And I think that such is the reputation so far of McNeil and Sherman that it might be good for Bridges to be a guy that just becomes like that, that alpha kind of player too, because I think he can score in different spots. Um, I think their best one-on-one player is probably Sherman and their best shooter is probably McNeil. So that the hardest guys to guard in that end game situation are Sherman, because he's so good at creating his shot, getting to his spot, creating space. And then McNeil, because I think he can launch it from pretty well anywhere. And he's going to be hard to defend because he can just, he can get you a shot or get to a shot, maybe not as independently as Sherman can, but he can still get it up. But I just think that, like, with the ball in his hands, Bridges is going to be able to do something there, too. That may surprise people because I just kind of touted the offensive skill of Sherman and McNeil, but I just think that they're going to find ways to make Bridges a really good offensive player this year. I think he's going to be a force they're going to try to unleash on people. And um, also 6'7", can bounce it, gets up over people, can follow his own shot. There's, there's a lot more to him than I think the other two. The other two are good offensive players, especially one-on-one. Um, I just think that Bridges kind of gives them more end-of-the-game options about, like, if this doesn't work, can he go to plan B? If this doesn't work, can he go to plan, you know, to B? I don't know. We'll see. But I think that they like the potential there an awful lot. Let me preface this, my, my pitch, by saying, again, it's kind of contingent on, on what Curry turns into. Um, but if you're telling me early in the year we're still unclear on Curry's main role here, and it's a tie game. West Virginia has the ball, 20 seconds left. Huggins calls a timeout. He gets put in whoever he wants, half court. Sherman's got the ball. The ball gets inbound, inbounded to Sherman. I'm going to have Bridges in one corner, King in another corner, and then I'm going to have Gabe, top of the key, set a pick for Sherman, and then I'm going to have McNeil on a wing. And... There you go. You got three of the best shooters in the entire Big 12 conference, three-point shooters in the entire Big 12 conference, lined up around the perimeter. You got Sherman, like you said. I think you, you get on the fly and you need somebody to just go one-on-one and get a bucket. I, I like Sherman here, and I think you get Gabe in there, set that hard screen, let Sherman try to get to the basket. If not, he gets to a spot, finds an open man, and Gabe, I feel confident enough that he can crash the boards and get in there and grab it if, if there is a miss and, and at least get it back out to somebody. So I think that would be my, you know, if it's if West Virginia is struggling in the season opener and obviously you hope you're, they're not, and that's the, the role they need. They need 20 seconds left, timeout, got to score a bucket. That's where I'm going. I like that. That's a good, that's a good way to stretch the point. You're in on King, huh? I am – 
I, I don't know what his role is going to be, but if you can shoot, if you can shoot, you're going to play. And it's it, it was it caught me off guard that so many different people I talked to, and all of them good sources, a couple of them capital S sources here, and the description was the same. Lamont West. He's Lamont West. And that, that I don't know if that, again, I don't know if that's like, you know, Huggins telling all these other people this and then just spreading out. And I mean, Lamont West wasn't the best player to ever roll through West Virginia, but he's a decent player. He's a good shooter. He had a role early in his career. So it just makes me think that, you know, you might see him a little more this year, even if he is a freshman. And be quite honest, West Virginia might need they need another wing. They need another guy out there on that perimeter that that's going to contribute unless you're expecting Bridges to kind of play more of the three some this season. Would you think a tie for fifth in the Big 12? Yeah, I mean, I, th- I don't think that's unreasonable for that to be the pick. I mean, I, I gave my pitch on why I thought maybe third this year, um, a little better, third, fourth. But to say tied for fifth doesn't seem completely unreasonable. I think Texas has the best roster, maybe the best coach to pull this off, too. But a lot has to go right for them to win the league. But I would say the same about Kansas, too. But it's probably one of those two. Um, Texas just has so many players, whether recruits, returning players, transfers. But it's going to be a weird blend. They have to mix together. But I can certainly see that being the case. Then obviously Kansas. Kansas, I'll have to go into that too much. But returning talent transfers really hit the portal hard and it, it rewarded them but man like I, I don't get it with Baylor except that they do this a lot but sure that's fine and then your your next cut of players I just don't see a, a ton of difference between them and I think the bottom is the bottom too uh like those I think that that middle pack of what will probably be like four five six maybe seven is probably going to shake up somewhere like that could one of them crash and become a two or three I don't know about that. So let's just say that Kansas is really good. It doesn't work out quite as well for Texas. And then Baylor is just kind of maybe right around what you think out of them, rebuilding as they are without those guards. But which one of those teams makes a move? Could it be Oklahoma State? Could it be Texas Tech? Could it be West Virginia? Um, I don't know. But, like, and again, actually the middle I'm looking at it, is the middle more than, like, three teams? I don't know. Yeah, as I say, a lot of years we're talking, oh, yeah, this is a definite seven seven tourney league and maybe eight this year, maybe it's more six and maybe seven. So I, I think that middle square, middle three there um, is that might be it. That might be that second tier that we're talking about. I think Oklahoma's got a good coach and probably put together a roster that'll help him. So that's, that's kind of why I'm putting him in there, but man, I think, I think TC is gonna be really bad and Kansas state's gonna be really bad. And it looks like everybody, yeah, Iowa State was unanimous last place. <laughs> so, if I mean, so you're really talking, what's what's the difference now between Texas Tech, Oklahoma State, West Virginia? And I'd say Oklahoma. I think they might be the team that kind of does better than people think out of that group. But really, you're looking at like a middle three probably. So, suppose Kansas is good, Texas doesn't have it as early or as consistently or as maybe as emphatically because, again, there's a lot of experiment going on there. First-year coach, a lot of new players. Does Texas Tech, Oklahoma State, or West Virginia, can they be a team that makes a move to number two or number three? That's probably what the season comes down to as far as like the competitiveness of the league. Can can the number one and two hold on to it and everybody else is kind of like just fend it off? Or does that middle make it 
you know, really competitive and it turns out to be like a six team or a six bid league. I don't know. We'll see. There's a lot of questions there for me. It, did you notice? I mean, I'm sure you did, but the amount of like really freaking good transfers in this league coming in, like everybody got like a, a, a true superstar added to the roster. I feel like, I mean, um, uh, Marcus Carr down in Texas was Minnesota, right? I think. And then uh, Ray Martin at Kansas. So just like roll down the list. I, I, I had to fill out a, a preseason thing the other day. It was like, Hey, who's, Who's the best newcomer in the Big 12? Who's your pick for best best newcomer? I God, I mean, I was going down with like five, six guys in this league that are brand new transfers from elsewhere that were legitimate, like top tier players at their previous stop that are now in the Big 12. It's going to be a lot of new faces, but a lot of really talented faces in this league. Yeah. I like the the one the reason I mentioned Oklahoma is I got those two Groves kids from Eastern Washington that were really good and then who's the point guard from Duke um, Goldwire Goldwire I think uh huh now they lost players like they lost um Manic went to UNC Harmon went to Oklahoma those are two good players that gave West Virginia trouble for the years but I I think they're gonna be all right that's why the, I kind of put them in that middle but you're right like if you go through and you look at everybody like Texas is loaded because of the Kansas went out and got the best players out there. Um, you're right. It's like an all-star team of, of transfers of guys who are going to be probably good players. Uh, actually, Baylor got one of the best players, too. I can't remember his name from... Um, uh, yeah, Akinjo from Arizona. Akinjo, yeah, yeah, yeah. He was good. Like That's the only one they really got, but they're like, you know, we're going to go in the transfer portal. Sure, let's go get one of the best guys out there. So, hey, must be nice. Yeah. I have no more questions, Chris. I, I have no more answers, so we're good. When is the written version? This afternoon? Tomorrow? No, first thing in the morning. We'll put it up Tuesday morning. Um, we'll keep an eye out for the the game notes later, see if anything changes with the depth chart. Uh, again, just I think we've made this abundantly clear over the years, but I feel like it needs repeated. Just because the depth chart in the game notes says one thing does not mean everything. Um, so if you don't see any changes in that depth, game notes depth chart that doesn't mean there won't be changes on saturday um a lot of times that gets talked about later either on tuesday with neil brown or thursday during his radio show whatever just as they walk out for the first play of the game so um we'll have that up later uh, nfl update gino yeah. was eh, he was okay uh kind of killer on that last that last play there of course but um we have updates on that and then uh, move into the TCU preview. Going to catch up with our guys from the TCU site, do those kind of updates, and uh, and move forward. Time to get on to the second half of the football season. Neil Brown tomorrow, noon. Coordinators to be determined who among the players talks. Wednesday, Big 12 Media Day. And then all of our normal shenanigans during the week. Yeah. Can't wait. Back to normal. Mm-hmm. With the abnormal schedule of basketball on top, that should be fun. Until next time, I'm Mike Kazaza. And I'm Chris Anderson. Talk to you later.